Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. Finally, we get to air tonight's show. I'm your host, Viz, and I gotta tell you, this has been the week of technical F-ups. You know what? That's fine. Let's get them all out of the way for the entire year this week. This is our last broadcast for this week. We'll be back with you Monday, January 18th. Tonight, you know, I set everything up. I step out one last time before I come here to sit down and do the show. And it started streaming all by itself. I'm like, what the? So I had to stop it. And then I had to recreate everything. And my apologies. That's why we're starting 15 minutes late tonight. Uh, When was it? Three days ago. Facebook. This was Facebook's issue. Did not display the stream. Uh, They fixed that within a day. Now it's back up. And yesterday... Instagram would not stream, and that's back up and working again. So, my apology, guys. Uh, I see that everybody's finding the newly recreated stream, as opposed to the one where you guys logged into and saw nothing. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. If you are joining us for the first time, please go ahead and check out our website at deadtalklive.com. You can get all about all the information about our show. Also, please visit us on any of our five streaming platforms, which you are on at least one of them right now. They are YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. You can find us on all of them just by searching for the name Dead Talk Live. So let me go ahead and welcome some of you guys. Of course, Saz is moderating the majority of the platforms. Marie is moderating on Instagram. We also have moderators Khaleesi with us. So let's welcome Philip, Sammy, uh, Aching, who are with us on Facebook. Ruben is with us on YouTube. Our regular Lindsay Sparks from Canada is with us on Facebook as well. Colette from the UK is joining us. Uh, so welcome to all you guys, wherever you are in the world. Good evening. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Hope you could spend the next hour as we discuss uh, all different horror topics. And let's just go ahead and dive right into it since we're starting late today as it is. And there's been a lot of news today. I have to sort through them. But basically, you know, where are they now? Featuring Sonequa Martin-Green. Now, Sonequa played Sasha on The Walking Dead, for those of you that don't know. So, former The Walking Dead star, Sonequa Martin-Green, has left Sasha long behind. And it is of notable mention that she has gone on to a huge success on CBS All Access Star Trek Discovery. And I am so happy for her, uh, you know, taking that leap away from a very secure job in The Walking Dead to go and be the star of her own show, which I I can't stress it enough, is a huge success on CBS All Access, and it's a great show. When uh, an actor appears in an iconic role in The Walking Dead, there's always a chance that role will be one that they are always best known for. It takes a strong actor to break free from that and become iconic in another series. Sonequa Martin-Green is one of those stars who has done just that. 
like Chad Coleman, who played her on-screen brother Tyrese, Sinequa was no stranger to television audiences when she took on the role of Sasha in Season 3 of The Walking Dead. Green had already appeared in the popular Army Wives series for several episodes, had a reoccurring role in The Good Wife, aspiring paralegal Courtney Wells. Even when she already appeared on screen as Sasha, she was doing double duty, also appearing as Tamara on a a non-magical character in the fairy tale drama Once Upon a Time. However, Tamara was killed off in the first episode of season three for Martin Green to devote her time to The Walking Dead. Early on, Sasha proved to be a popular character on the show with an engaging mix of power and vulnerability, warmth and skill. Having no comic counterpart allowed the character and thus Martin Green portraying her to have flexibility in finely tuning just exactly who Sasha was. And we all fell in love with Sasha. And you got to admit, out of all the characters who have made the biggest, have made big sacrifices, Sasha by far on The Walking Dead made the biggest sacrifice. She sacrificed her own life so Negan would not be able to use her as a pawn against her friends. Uh, And she popped out of that coffin as a zombie, scared the shit out of Negan. And how can we forget that classic scene? From her early brief romantic romance with optimistic Bob to her depression and lack of direction following her second boyfriend, Abe's death, Martin Green infused Sasha with a depth of humanity and finesse that showcased her talent level. And we all have to admit, the big pivot moment in Sasha's character on The Walking Dead, without any question, it's not losing Bob, it's uh, losing Abraham was big, but it's the death of her brother, Tyrese. That is what really uh, made her heart cold. But... I loved how she was able to still open up and fall in love again and, uh, you know, get together with Abraham. The way Abraham left Rosita, that's a whole other topic right there. Uh, We've discussed that to death. Working through her first real-life pregnancy while filming season five in the Georgia Heat, Martin Green also showed her endurance and adaptability. She returned to film season six just a few short months after the birth of her son, Kenrick Justin. In the final final episode of Season 7, Sasha, having been captured by Negan, decides to take fate into her own hands and swallows a suicide pill given to her by Eugene, turning her from a bargaining chip to a walker weapon against Negan. She was really hoping that when Negan popped open that coffin, she'd be the one to take him out as a walker. But he dodged that bullet. Her death provided a real spotlight on Martin Green's talents as we saw Sasha's hallucinations or moments of death played out on screen, revisiting her touching chemistry 
failed on-screen partnerships with Maggie and Abe. Despite the timing of uh, Martin Green's next big casting making it seem that way, Martin Green didn't choose to leave The Walking Dead to take up a better offer. You see, I did not know that. Up until now, I've always believed that she left the show to become the lead in Star Trek Discovery. In an interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly in 2017, she clarified that her opportunity to join the Star Trek universe came perfectly timed after Sasha was killed off. There, I, I did not know that. In December 2016, it was announced that Martin Green had landed the much sought-after lead in the new Star Trek series Discovery, playing Michael Burnham. Martin Green was paving the way, creating many firsts, including the first lead character, who wasn't a captain, and the first female lead character of color. Season 3 of Discovery began streaming in October 2020 and continued the show's run of critical and audience praise. With Martin Green consistently receiving plaudits and being compared favorably to other Star Trek greats such as Sir Patrick Stewart, Picard, and Chris Pine. Chris Pine was good as uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, how about you know William Shatner? I didn't. The, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just a little baffled as to why they chose to mention Chris Pine, who did a great job, as opposed to William Shatner. That kind of baffles me a little bit. The fourth season of Discovery has already been ordered but it certainly isn't the only thing on Martin Green's schedule. She had also managed to star in Netflix's romantic holiday movie, Holiday Rush, alongside Romani Malko and The Outside Story, a comedy drama that was scheduled to appear at the Tribeca Film Festival before COVID struck. Amongst all this on-screen work, she also somehow managed to fit in the small matter of giving birth to her second child, a daughter named Saria Shante. That's a beautiful name, Saria Shante. In July 2020, as well as devoting a large amount of time to her role as an ambassador for cancer charity, SU2C, Stand Up to Cancer, since 2006, 2016. Martin Green's entire career has marked her out for greatness, not just now, but in the future. Be it fictional Star Trek or in her real life, her interviews show a considered, articulate woman who brings huge emotional and intelligent input into her roles and is comfortable speaking about both her craft and the importance of diversity and representation. Now, that was a good article. That was actually informative to the point. Uh, I found out stuff that I never knew about. Wherever her career takes her, Martin Green will always love her Walking Dead family, especially because her husband, husband, Kenrick still appears on the show as Alexandria resident Scott. She returned for a cameo in Rick's final episode, 
in season nine. Next, she will be starring alongside fellow Walking Dead alums Stephen Yen and Kari Payton as a voice in Robert Kirkman's animated series Invincible, thus ensuring that though Martin Green has moved on, her impact on the Walking Dead universe remains. And damn, you want to talk about a busy schedule? How in the world does she handle all that? Giving birth twice, uh, appearing in multiple TV shows simultaneously. That's a lot of stuff to juggle. That's a lot of stuff. And wow, want to welcome Pablo, Crystal, Charles, Hamdi, who have just joined us on Instagram. Welcome, guys. Uh... Singer Chick writes, wow, did not know that either. CC Weezy uh, writes, Discovery is really good. It is. It really is good. Ruben on YouTube writes, he didn't know that either. Uh, Singer Chick writes, everybody, every, every, uh, everybody else lose this stream too. Nope. Singer Chick, it seems like you're the only one who seems to be having the most YouTube problems. I don't know if you're on a poor Wi-Fi connection, but it appears that everyone else is fine. Uh, so, it, I can see that you're back. Lindsay Spark writes, it's a great article. And Colette also writes, talented lady. That's an understatement. Her talent is huge. So, let's move on to some different stuff. Here's an article that I saw that I, I strongly debated with myself whether or not to share this. Just the title alone. Check this out. Study suggests the paradoxical enjoyment of horror media serves an evolutionary function. What they're trying to say in the headline, I didn't read the article. I like to reserve it so we can read it together. What the headline is trying to convey is that horror movies serve a purpose in humanity's evolution. Okay, I never really thought about it that way. For me, I just saw it as pure entertainment. Never saw it as a uh, evolutionary function. But let's go ahead and see what they have to say. Research published in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences presents evidence that the enjoyment of horror has evolved as a means of preparing for real-world encounters with danger. Okay, I can definitely buy that. I mean, we've all discussed on here, uh, you know, fictional potential scenarios of what we would do if the zombie apocalypse ever broke out, which I gotta say again, put that disclaimer in there, it is impossible. The dead cannot rise, and they will most certainly not rise and start eating living people. But we've all liked to play along and have all talked about where we would like to spend out the rest of our days, who would like to be our traveling companions, and so on. The study found that high enjoyment of horror involves a preference for intensely frightening content and a simultaneous expectation of experiencing positive emotions. I agree. Horror experiences are widely popular, from haunted attractions to films, video games. Researchers call this 
The Paradox of Horror Entertainment, questioning why people purposefully seek out and enjoy experiences that provoke negative emotions such as fear and shock. Now, in the past, before 2020, it would be because we wanted a break from boring reality. Well, over the last year, reality has become a lot scarier than the majority of the stuff that we see on the screen. So, take that for what you will. That's my opinion. Questioning why people... Okay, study authors Matthias Klassen and his team set out to explore who consumes such content and why from an evolutionary approach. My professional interest in scary entertainment stems from personal fascination, said Clausen, an associate professor at Aarhus University, Aarhus, sorry, Aarhus University and director of the Recreational Fear Lab. There's a there's a recreational fear lab. Shouldn't surprise me. I've been long interested in the paradoxical appeal of horror, and this particular study was an attempt to get a better understanding of the personality profile of a horror fan. Is it a particular kind of person who is drawn to scary stories? And without reading any further, we will, but I have seen no commonality amongst horror fans. I have met horror fans, been talking to horror fans all my life, men, women, nationality, background, there is no common denominator that I have ever found that says this kind of person will not be attracted to horror movies while this person would be, okay? For example, I'm going to call out our moderator, Marie. Marie's a big chicken shit when it comes to horror movies. And when we did an episode where I brought on our team members, uh, she went on to explain, and this is the weird part about her, that if it was in real life and she had to amputate a limb, she would have no problem doing it. But watching it on screen is too much for her. That still has me scratching my head. <laughs> <clears throat> You guys can figure that one out. You're, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. Uh, I've been, uh, let's see. I've been long interested in the paradoxical appeal of horror. And this particular study was an attempt to get a better understanding. A sample of 1,187 adults were recruited for an online survey. The, responder, the respondents answered a multitude of questions concerning their consumption of horror media, including their content preferences, how easily scared they are by such content, and how often they consume it. They also completed measures of sensation-seeking and the big five personality traits. Wow. The participants had been invited to complete the survey whether they enjoyed horror media or not. And the analysis revealed that consumption of horror media was widespread. I could have told you that. 
Around 81% of respondents said they consumed horror media several times a year or more. The enjoyment of horror media was also high, with 55% indicating that they enjoy the genre. Moreover, the researchers found that people seem to anticipate and embrace the fear aspect of horror experiences. Those reported those who reported higher higher paranormal beliefs also reported greater fear of supernatural content and greater enjoyment of it. And I fall exactly into that category. Okay? That's the category I fall into. I, of course, will enjoy a good slasher flick, any other kind of horror. Of course, I love zombies and The Walking Dead. But if I want to sit down and actually truly watch something that is going to scare me, paranormal movies are what do it for me. Zombies don't scare me. They don't. They never have. I have great... I have a lot of good friends that are petrified by zombie movies. They they watch them because it petrifies them. For me, when I'm sitting down and I have some free time, which I don't seem to have much of lately, and I'm looking to watch a movie, uh, of course, I will go straight into the horror section and I will particularly seek out uh, paranormal movies. I won't go for the slasher flicks. I won't go for the zombie flicks or any other kind of horror subgenre. I am looking for the paranormal flicks. And that's how I've been able to find some really big hidden gems that I've never even heard of before. Suggesting that people pursue and enjoy horror media that is more plausible to them and thus more fear-provoking. Exactly. If you actually believe it is possible, that is going to make that enjoyment of what you're watching even greater. For me, it's paranormal. There are a lot of people out there who believe zombies can really happen. I'm not one of those people, but there are people out there who think it's possible. And that's why the zombie genre scares them. I'm a big Walking Dead fan. Not because of the zombies. I love the show for the human-on-human character interaction. Uh, The zombies are just a backdrop to a story that could have had anything be the reason why the apocalypse happened. In line, previous research, sensation-seeking strongly predicted how much people enjoyed horror, how often they consumed it, and their preference for high intensity horror. As Clausen and colleagues observe, it appeared that the negative emotion of fear was being compensated for by the positive emotions also elicited by the horror experience. The results show those who enjoyed horror more expected to uh, experience more joy trust, anticipation, and surprise from the content. They also scored higher in the big five trait of intellect slash imagination, which tends to describe people who are intelligent and creative. 
I never knew that classification existed. This suggests that those who seek horror experiences are looking for imaginative stimulation. The authors say their findings point to horror as a type of benign masochism. Wow, benign masochism, through which people seek and great pleasure from experiencing frightening scenarios in a safe, imaginative way, whether that be, you know, safely tucked away in your living room or wherever you watch TV or in a movie theater. Individuals who desire intellectual stimulation in particular find horror use gratifying, the researchers say. Such mediated experience with threat scenarios opens up a vast simultary space for emotional and cognitive play, for behavior regulation and norm exploration, and for building and displaying mastery. Wow. One of the most interesting findings here is that uh, is that frightening entertainment is not a niche phenomenon. We find that the majority of people say they tend to enjoy horror movies, scary books, and so on. Moreover, people have different reasons for seeking out such entertainment. Some are in it for arousal. We're not going to get into that. Some for social bonding and so on. Our results also support a hypothesis that frightening entertainment provides threat simulations for people. We seem to be hardwired to find pleasure in playing with fear. Horror allows us to do that, and there is nothing pathological or weird about finding pleasure in slasher movies. Stephen King novels, and survival horror video games. Clausen and his team say these ideas fall in line with the evolutionary threat simulation hypotheses, which suggest the enjoyment of horror is an adaptive trait that serves to prepare people for real-life encounters with threat. The only problem I have with that is that people watch horror movies, they see how the survivors survive, and forget that it's a movie, okay? If you were to be faced with a mad stalking slasher in the middle of the woods while camping, the way you saw that person on your favorite film or movie, your favorite film or TV show that you just watched is probably not going to work in real life. Uh, And you're probably not going to end up with good results at the end. Exploring with horror media offers a way for people to steadily open themselves up to these experiences, potentially increasing their readiness for dealing with hostility in the real world. And I got to say, this reminds me of, you know... How many times have we read news stories or seen them on TV news where there are people out there who truly believe they are Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, and they go out and they film themselves absolutely ridiculous trying to be vigilantes, 
and completely sucking at what they're trying to do. Uh, I think it's hysterical, but it's also sad because these people actually really believe that they are those characters. And there is no plausible reason that they can think of in their minds why, hey, why can't I be Batman? You know, why can't I be Superman? Ugh, Ruben says, that is ridiculous. Colette uh, writes, I love story films play more on your emotions than horror. Uh, Janice on Facebook writes, I love paranormal. Can't get enough of it. I'm right there with you, Janice. Same here. I can't get enough of it either. I even watch almost every TV show that deals with paranormal investigations and so on. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I watch them and I have a list of my favorites. Uh, anyway, the article goes on to finish off by saying, however, the psychology of scary entertainment is still largely a scientific mystery. Clausen added, this study provides one piece of the puzzle, but there are many outstanding questions. We know little about the constructive uses to which frightening entertainment can be put, such as bonding effects or effects on psychological resilience, for instance. We also know little about the cross-cultural aspects of the phenomenon and about children's engagement with frightening leisure activities, but we're working on it. Good luck. Okay, you're looking for a scientific answer where I don't believe one exists. Because at the end of the day, I think there is a simple answer. We just like it. Why do we have to go any deeper than that? You know, that's what they're trying to do. They want to find out why. Why people enjoy horror movies. Why do people enjoy sports? Why do people enjoy theater? Why do people enjoy comedies? You're not going to get an answer to that. I'm sorry. It's, it's, you're not. Colette writes, try and watch when the lights went out. It's supposed to be a true story. And then the house is open to ghost hunts. Yeah. You see, the one thing, because I truly believe in the paranormal I don't need to experience it to believe in it. I want to go through my whole life never having a paranormal experience. I don't need proof to believe that it exists. I believe it exists. And if I am ever encountered with a uh, an experience, I would shit myself. I'll be straight up honest. Yeah, I'd like to think in my mind I know exactly from watching all these shows and watching all these investigators and how they handle things that I would know exactly how to approach it. But at the end of the day, I know that if I'm ever faced with a real situation and I do have a paranormal experience, uh, yeah, I'm going to go running. I'm going to go running. Uh, Khaleesi writes, my encounters have been nice. Well, you've mentioned that before Khaleesi and I'm glad that you have Casper you know, the friendly ghost that you have dealt with. But just be uh, mindful that not all spirits are of the friendly type. 
uh, singer chick writes, uh, her experience have not been as nice. I truly believe what is said often that if you are a decent person in life, that is going to carry on to whatever comes up, whatever comes afterwards. And I'm not claiming to know or have any idea what comes afterwards. I just know that there is an afterwards. Uh, but I do truly believe that if you're a total a-hole or a bad person while you're alive, that is going to continue in, after you die. So, anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's see. We're already more than halfway into the show. Let's see where we should go next. Uh, no. Uh, all right. This seems interesting. Horror film fans were better prepared for the pandemic. A love of apocalyptic horror films may have actually helped people mentally prepare for the COVID-19 pandemic. At least that's according to research published this month in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences. Oh my God. What is it with these scientific articles? Uh, is everybody studying this now? More than 300 people participated. I did not know this was another study. More than 300 people participated in the study, and researchers found that those who enjoyed horror films before the pandemic were more psychologically resilient in 2020. Okay. I could see a connection there. They reported fewer symptoms of depression, anxiety, or sleeplessness, said the study's lead author, Colton Scrivener of the University of Chicago. This is really cool because a lot of these symptoms, especially anxiety and depression, have been skyrocketing during 2020. Well, for me, I'm an expert in anxiety well before 2020. So when COVID hit, my experience in watching horror movies had nothing to do with me learning how to deal with it. It was all the years prior in dealing with anxiety for the majority of my life that prepared me on how to deal with the COVID pandemic. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, this is really cool because a lot of these symptoms, especially anxiety and depression, have been skyrocketing during 2020. And so it seems like this specific group of people are reporting fewer of those symptoms. Do you guys really believe that horror fans, uh, you know, had less anxiety symptoms during last year's and ongoing COVID pandemic than people who did not enjoy or do enjoy horror films? I don't know. For me, that's kind of a stretch. Scrivener said the findings show that fictional stories can mentally prepare us for real-life changes like a pandemic. It could just be the case that they've learned how to calm themselves down when they're feeling anxious, or they've learned how to deal with uncertainty, or they've seen something like it before in a zombie movie. Of course, when they're talking about apocalypse, they have to go straight to the zombie movie. While horror fans were most psychologically resilient, the research found that fans of apocalyptic horror films like zombie or alien invasion movies also felt they knew how to physically prepare for the pandemic. 
you have people that go to extremes, you know, on the preparation. When COVID was really starting to hit the fan here in the United States in February and March, almost a year ago, there were a lot of people coming out saying this is the start of the zombie apocalypse. Those are the people that, you know, their minds went too far into the fictional realm. And then there were others that were more calm about it, uh, more sensible. Uh, anyway, they would say things like they knew what to buy in preparation for the pandemic. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think we would, the one thing that all stores would run out of during a pandemic would be toilet paper. If anybody would have guessed that, kudos to you. Okay, canned food, water, you know, rational stuff. But no, toilet paper. It took months and months uh, for toilet paper to be available again in any kind of store. Convenience stores, grocery stores, Walmart, Costco, anywhere, anywhere. You couldn't find it. Uh, you know, in my preparation, I don't know if Howard prepared me for this, when the pandemic hit and we were finding out that they were at, there was no toilet paper to be found anywhere. Uh, this is a personal story. Here in the house, we had enough toilet paper to last us another four weeks. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to wait till we're down to the last two rolls and then go scouring three different states trying to find toilet paper. So I made what I thought was a brilliant decision. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go on Amazon and order some toilet paper. So I ordered a box of 96 rolls of toilet paper. It was the only ones I could find on Amazon for $150. That's right, $150. It took several weeks for it to arrive. And when it arrived, I opened the box up, and you know what it looked like? Uh, for those of you that have ever spent the night in a hotel, it looks like a hotel employee took a box of hotel toilet paper, stole it, and sold it on Amazon. For a huge profit. Uh, you know how Amazon tells you how many of this product have been sold? It made me feel better that I wasn't the only idiot that actually bought this thing. That there were hundreds of people that have purchased this prior. But yeah, I, you know, that was my preparation. We still had four weeks worth of toilet paper left. But I went out and I spent 150 bucks, And that poor toilet paper lasted us a good six months so you know yeah i overpaid for toilet paper but our asses were clean and apparently that's what's important to people if a pandemic or if the apocalypse ever hits not food not water they want to make damn sure that your asses everyone's ass is clean okay that's that's the important thing that's the big lesson that we should have all have learned from this ongoing COVID pandemic. Anyway, back to the article. 
The study also looked at people with a morbid curiosity or those who are curious about dangerous or bad things, ranging from serial killers to ghosts to violence. They found that these people responded to the pandemic with a positive resilience. They didn't just experience fewer bad symptoms of anxiety and depression. They were able to find ways to enjoy their life during the pandemic, more so than people who were not as morbidly curious. So they were able to find things that they enjoyed doing. They were able to have a sense of meaning during that time. While Scrivener didn't specifically look at the differences between those who like horror movies and TV shows, he said it's reasonable to assume that fans of long-running shows like The Walking Dead were even more prepared. That showed in particular shows the longer-term effects in the major event. And I guarantee you, the writers, producers of The Walking Dead, uh, let's start with Fear, because Fear of the Walking Dead, the first season, is what actually showed the apocalypse breaking out, okay? So let's take Fear of the Walking Dead as an example. Uh, when they were writing Fear and how they were going to portray the beginning of the zombie apocalypse, the writers, the producers, it, it never even crossed their imaginations to show a group of just deranged people in the supermarket killing each other over toilet paper. You know? Because in reality, that's what happened. Uh, I hope minus the killing part. Anyway, as we've gone on, the virus is still scary. The zombies are still scary, but other things become even worse or just as bad, he said. With COVID... We're seeing the economic downfall that's adding additional strain. We're seeing a lot of social uprisings that are in part due to either the coronavirus or social restrictions related to it. And another big lesson to gain from the COVID pandemic is that, you know, worldwide telling people to shelter in place will only be useful for a limited time. After a while, uh, humanity just can't deal with it anymore. And they are willing to take the risks and go outside and do what they used to do before because uh, I, it's not that they stop caring. It just, it, uh, I don't know, what, what's the right term that I'm looking for? We become hardened to it. Okay, and uh, the consequences of us possibly getting sick are not in the forefront of our mind. Scrivener added that they controlled for personality traits like extroversion or uh, neur neuroticism, meaning they identified those factors and did, did their research in such a way that they didn't play a major role in the findings. However, Scrivener says that if horror isn't your thing, he doesn't rec recommend forcing yourself to go binge watch now. I may not have it may, it may not have immediate effects and could also introduce introduce more anxiety in some people. My wife doesn't like horror. I know a lot of people who don't like horror, and trust me, their study 
is not going to make people who don't like watching horror go out and all of a sudden start watching horror movies. That's just not going to happen. Uh, if you're somebody who knows that you can't really deal with horror movies, that's obviously going to make it worse, not better. However, he plans to keep researching to see if watching horror movies could work as a kind of exposure therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy to help th certain people help themselves. All right. I, uh, when I picked out some of these news articles, I did not know we were going to go all scientific today. I really did not. So uh, we only have 15 minutes left. But I tell you what, reading those, I think that was useful. I think it's useful to us, whether it's true or not. I don't know. Uh, the first article was a little way too scientific. The second one uh, made a lot of assumptions. But, you know, I'm proud to uh, have shared that information with you guys. Lisa writes on Facebook, there was a lot of price gouging. Oh, yeah, especially on Amazon. Lindsay Sparks writes, hand hand. hand Hand sanitizer was going as well. Peroxide is brilliant. Instead, uh, says Colette, order makeup brush cleaner. It's pure alcohol and cheap off Amazon. You see, Lindsay, Colette, Lisa, you guys are thinking ahead, you know? Welcome to Janie Joe Army on Instagram, who's laughing. So we're going to talk in the time that remains about jump scares. And we all love a good jump scare. Come on. You know, when we're watching a movie and uh, we're watching a particular sequence of events where the possibility of a jump scare is really, really high, that's what gets our blood flowing as horror fans. So uh, I found another Watch Mojo video that they picked out their 10 best jump scares. So we're going to go ahead and review that. In the time that we have left, and again, I want to thank uh, Watch Mojo for this content. So let me go ahead and bring it up, and let's watch. These jump scares are so inventive, we're almost more amazed than scared. Almost. Welcome to Watch Mojo, and today we'll be counting down our picks for the top 10 most creative jump scares. Jaws? There was no jump scares on Jaws. For this list, we'll be looking at horror movie jump scares that go beyond the normal routine of something jumping out and going BOO by cleverly subverting our expectations or using the craft of filmmaking in interesting and inventive ways. After all, jump scares don't have to be cheap. There's a reason why this movie keeps showing up over and over Number again. Number 10, it's The Demon Revealed. Insidious. Often jump scares centered on a monster or baddie will involve them suddenly entering the shot, arriving with a start to menace the other characters. This entry goes a different route though, by skipping the arrival. The scene begins as a simple conversation. As the two converse, the camera cuts back and forth between shots of the two in an age-old technique called shot-reverse-shot. We cut to one, then the other, back and forth as they speak. But a wrench is suddenly thrown into the works when we cut back to Josh, and the demonic entity is now crouched right behind him. 
It said Dalton. I can still hear that voice. Yeah, that was a jump scare. It's simple, effective, and comes right out of nowhere. Number 9. From the Doorway. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. A chainsaw-wielding maniac and a mask made out of human skin suddenly bursting out of the shadows is never not going to be startling. Thus, that callback to Leatherface's debut in the original Texas Chainsaw really ups the ante. The tension is already high when a radio station employee finds herself seemingly alone with Chop Top, one of Leatherface's family. The two wind up on either side of a door opening onto a darkened room. When the lights suddenly come up to reveal Leatherface, That's, this is one of Leatherface's better looking family members. It's the framing that makes this one special, with the villain suddenly appearing without so much as a cut or camera movement. Number 8. The Hallway. Shock. This movie from horror legend Mario Bava follows a woman who becomes convinced that the ghost of her abusive husband is haunting her and their son. Mama. Never saw this. Marco. In one sequence, the son runs down a hallway to embrace his mother, only to suddenly transform into his departed father. Mama. The effect is done entirely in camera using a very simple filmmaking trick commonly called a Texas switch. The technique involves one performer briefly leaving the sight of the audience, only for another to pop up in their place. <laughs> Usually this is used to replace a stuntman with an actor or vice versa, but in Bava's hands, it becomes something else entirely. Number 7. The Bus. Cat People. Sound is one of the most important tools in a filmmaker's arsenal, and even the most simple sound effect can be used to create tension and suspense. Take this scene from a true horror classic in which a woman is stalked on a deserted street. The sound of clacking footfalls seem to follow her, but then suddenly stops. Is she safe or still in danger? After a prolonged silence dripping with tension, a bus suddenly pulls up to the corner with a startling hiss, breaking the silence with a start that definitely left some audience members gasping. This is also one of, if was the not 50s the version of a jump scare in cinema history. Number six, The Mirror, Repulsion. Sometimes you just gotta go the subtle route. Have you fallen asleep? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. In this blink and you'll miss it scare, protagonist Carol is seemingly alone in her sister's apartment. She spends some time rifling through the closet before closing the mirrored closet door. As the door swings shut, 
The figure of a man can be seen for a split second behind Carol, silently watching her. Hmm. Whoa. Okay. Damn. Sorry about that. <laughs> it goes by so quickly that unless you can rewind the movie, you might doubt that you even saw it. Damn, you guys were not supposed to see cue. me jump. This is another entry that proves that sometimes <laughs> the simplest techniques and visuals can be the most effective. Oh, God. This is why I do this show live. Yeah, they got me. They got me. Number five, Clap Clap, The Conjuring. Ah, James Wan's movie. first entry into the epic Conjuring franchise capitalized on the age-old fear of spooky basements with this clever jump scare, and it still creeps us out. I love After investigating scene. noises down in the basement of her new home, Carolyn becomes trapped down there. A voice asks if she wants to play hide and clap. A Blind Manor was play. awesome. Before poor Carolyn On can Netflix. answer, a pair of hands emerge from the darkness next to her head to deliver the scariest claps in movie history. Want to play hide and clap? That was scary. As if a demonic presence suddenly appearing on top of a wardrobe wasn't bad enough. Number four, out of the cabinet, Candyman. The title character of this horror classic has a tendency towards appearing behind people looking into mirrors, a pattern the film then brilliantly subverts with this incredible moment. No one ever got past four. Well aware that closing her bathroom cupboard may lead to a terrifying encounter, Helen takes a look behind her to make sure the coast is clear first. Everything Smart. looks normal, but before she can turn back to close the mirrored cupboard, danger comes her way. This is a perfect example of a jump scare that plays on the expectations of the audience, seemingly setting up a scare that will play out in one way before flipping the script and taking a different and unexpected angle instead. Number three. The tall man. It that was follows. Xander Berkeley, Gregory the from The Walking Dead. The problem with a lot of the bad, bad kind way. of jump scares comes down to presentation. There was an old woman at school today. She was staring at me. It was like she was following me. A jump scare on its own can be really good, but when you add too many extra elements, like a sudden loud sound effect, or a musical note, or a jarring camera movement, it can feel cheesy and overdone. That's why simple scares like this one works so well. I need water. Oh my God, I need water. Hey, I'll get you some. No, stay here. In this scene from the breakout horror hit, the sinister force following a young girl emerges from a dark room behind her friend in the form of a tall man. There's no music, no sound effect, just the sudden jarring image of the terrifying figure approaching. See, everything's okay. No frills, all chills. Number two, chest chomp, the thing. Great scene. I wouldn't call this, this a jump scare. scare from John Carpenter's horror masterpiece is a sight almost every horror fan knows, like the back of their hand. Don't you think he's changed into one of those things? 
While attempting to use a defibrillator on a seemingly dead Norris, Dr. Cooper discovers far too late that Norris is one of the things. Boom. Now cast your mind back to the heady years of 1982 and ask yourself, really ask yourself, would you have seen that coming? The effect is so well executed and so jarring in its sudden violence that we cannot imagine a first-time viewer. It really makes you appreciate that the special effects that went into this movie uh, and the year that it was Before 1982. We our top pick, Everything here are was done a few by honorable hand. mentions that might make you jump out of your seat. See what I tried to do there? Sudden frisbee, us for a scare on the beach. Jesus, watch it. Back from the grave, Carrie, for one last fright. Wow. There are a lot of honorable mentions that they can go through. But there you guys have it. Uh, I can't believe I actually jumped. Uh, you guys caught me jumping on a jump scare scene. So, damn, that's caught on film forever. Anyway, guys, uh, scheduling reminder. Uh... I will not be on the air tomorrow or Saturday. Tomorrow is my wedding anniversary. I'll be back on the air again Monday, January 18th. I want everyone here to have a good weekend. Uh, have a safe night. Have a good day if it's morning. Uh, Singer Chick writes, you'd be fun to watch a scary movie with. I told you about the story with Barbara Crampton the other night when we were watching Host when my brother was down here and I screamed like a five-year-old on a movie that I had already watched and I knew what was coming. I yelled so loudly, it scared the crap out of me. Anyway, guys, be safe. Uh, visit us on deadtalklive.com. Visit our brand new news site, deadtalknews.com. Visit us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Just search for the name Dead Talk Live. It's been an honor tonight talking to you as it is every night. Thank you so much for being here with me. I will see you guys on Monday. Be safe over the next four days. And until Monday, remember, stay walking. Good night.